0: Welcome to Transforming the Toddler Years, a core for parenting podcast, blending soul and science-based strategies to empower pandemic moms like you raising kindergarten-ready kids. I'm Cara Terrell, your host, a lifetime lover of littles, girl mom, early childhood educator, and conscious parenting coach who truly believes that how we connect and collaborate with our kids in the first five years Is how we raise world ready kids who will change this world. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Transforming the Toddler Years podcast. You notice this is a special episode. I'm dropping three episodes for you this week, and there's a good reason for that. It's time-sensitive, it involves teeny kids and their health, and a fun challenge, so I know you love all those things. So today, I'm joined by Dr. Cindy Jackson. She holds a Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine degree from the Des Moines University College of Medicine. And after completing her pediatric residency, she also completed fellowships at the Glaxo Wellcome and Duke University Medical Center in Pediatric Infectious Diseases. And in 2021, she joined forces with an amazing organization called the Institute for Advanced Clinical Trials for Children, or IACT. And we all know how important it is to have the right medications available to us if we have a tiny human who needs them. And she's here to talk to us about how long it actually takes for those medications to become available and that it's just not fast enough. And we need to support this research. I am so excited to welcome her to the show and to help us learn more about what it means to support our tiniest people. From their earliest days. But before we dive in, I would love if you could do me a favor. Could you scroll on down, rate the show after you listen, and leave a review? Ask a question? Suggest a topic? This will help me know how to better serve you, who to bring in. It will also help friends find us, other moms who need to be hearing what we're talking about together. Dr. Cindy, thank you so much for taking time to be with us and share your wisdom today. As moms, specifically pandemic moms who are my audience, and they listen in and they want to know, and they spent years doing everything they possibly could to keep their child safe during a time where our world was anything but. I know this is really going to resonate with them. So we know a little bit about who you are, but I was really interested when I read that you've worked in, get ready for this list, moms, this is insanity. Metabolic syndromes, immune deficiency and vaccines, neurological disorders, pulmonary gastroenterology, neonatology, and oncology. How have you fit all of that into your career? Well,
1: I have to I have to give a disclaimer. I'm I'm not any of those specialized except in pediatric infectious diseases, which is what I uh, did my training in, and also was faculty at two universities, um, Duke University and the University of Illinois. And how I got into those other therapeutic areas is with a job that I took in 2001, when I moved from taking care of patients full time to working in drug development. And back in 2001. Um, there were very few pediatricians who worked in drug development um, and sort of specialized in that area. And because of that, any protocol or clinical trial that the company I worked for um, worked on, they gave it to me. So if it was a migraine project, I needed to learn about pediatric migraine. If it was an asthma project, I needed to learn about pediatric asthma. And that's how it became sort of I learned about a lot of things when I was uh, in those roles at those two other companies that I was at before I came to IAC for
0: children. Isn't that amazing? What an opportunity to really diversify.
1: Yeah, it was fascinating because what I had a lens into was the different drugs that were being developed for children and the challenges that all of those projects that I worked on had. When I looked across all those different therapeutic areas, from rare disease to vaccine development, which isn't rare, I mean, most babies get vaccines, um, was that there were so many common issues across those that made it a challenge to complete those clinical trials, from lack of understanding as to what a clinical trial was, to lack of opportunity to participate in a clinical trial, which I think is still a huge problem. There have been many, many studies done that have shown that participation in a clinical trial equates good to excellent clinical care. So those those children and families who participate in clinical trials actually sort of get super care because they're seen on a regular basis. They're checked in on their on their child's progress on a regular basis. There's um, laboratories, measurements, other things that are done on a regular basis. And think about your visits now with your pediatricians. How long do they take? 15, 20 minutes tops, maybe a little longer for a yearly physical. And that's nothing to say wrong about the pediatricians that you're seeing, but that's the reality of how they need to practice. So imagine being part of a clinical trial and having an hour to spend in an office where you're talking to a nurse who does nothing but work on this particular trial, a physician who is invested in working in uh, this particular development area, like a new drug, a new vaccine, a new device. So I think that the biggest issue and some of the work that I've done before was talking to parents about why they did or didn't have their child participate in a clinical trial. And the most common reason was in the two separate studies that I did, Over 70% of the time, it was because they were never asked. So, and once asked, most parents will participate when their trusted healthcare provider believes it's in their best interest. So that's sort of the realm of clinical trials in children now that the biggest problem is most parents aren't asked or there's not a clinical trial available to them in their area. Amazing.
0: Wow. And it does sound like there's a really high quality of care and attention when you choose to participate. As a mom, my kids are grown at this point, but I do remember having lots of questions. My question is, I wonder if moms, parents in general, are coming looking for the answer. And if they come looking for the answer and there isn't one, but they're not asked to participate in a trial, where do they go?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So there are a lot of children with complex medical issues for which there isn't one good answer. So a lot of people do what they do. What I do is I get on the internet and start looking for things like, could my child have X? Should I go to this clinic, doctor, hospital, because they might be able to find what's wrong with my child? Or my child has a specific thing, so it might be part of their disorder, like They might have uh, reflux, so reflux, vomiting or something, but they may have some other issues associated with it, but they look up, is there a trial for my child with reflux because the medicines I'm using aren't working? So you can go online and find those things. Sometimes it's not easy to find. Um, And if you do find a site, uh, which is usually a medical clinic, a hospital, a children's hospital, a university with a large pediatric program. It may not be close to where you are, so it's very difficult for you to participate. So I absolutely hear what the problem is. And again, it's just it's frustrating for everybody involved. It's frustrating for the primary care pediatrician. it's frustrating for the families.
0: So there's a few things that I read in preparing for this interview with you that blew my mind.
1: Most of the time, and I think I know where you're going to go with this. Most of the time, it blows most parents' minds.
0: You know, so we're out here, this amazing group of moms doing our best to do our best work, but we don't have all the information. So I read it takes an average of 15 years to complete a pediatric drug development program. How long does it take to complete an adult program?
1: Four or five, less than that sometimes, depending upon the indication, And if you think about it, it makes sense. So I would say the vast majority. I don't want to give a percent, but because it's almost all drugs are developed for adult markets because adults have chronic conditions and adults are less healthy than a child. So when you take the totality of drug development, it makes sense that most drugs are developed for adults. And until the late 90s, there were really no rules and regulations in place that mandated clinical trials for children. The information we got was because pediatricians took it upon themselves to do their own investigator-initiated studies to figure out what the dose would be, what the duration of treatment should be, how often a day should a drug be given. But there was nothing ever that was approved by any regulatory agency up until those rules and laws were passed. So the very first rules were passed in 2001. Um, They were reauthorized again in 2002, then 2007 and made permanent in 2012. Now think about that. That's not very long ago, right? No. So until then, there was really no incentive for a pharmaceutical company to get information on treating children because the market for them is very small. So it took laws to make that happen. And then even once those laws were passed, it takes a long time. So think about, I'll give you an example because I think examples are the easiest. An antibiotic that you'd use to treat pneumonia in an adult. So most adults swallow pills, correct? No problem. So that pill then gets approved for use in pneumonia in adults. The law says that you then need to approve, to test that drug for pneumonia in children. So the first thing the drug company needs to do is make a formulation, a strength that a child can take. So those big pills have to be made into smaller dosage strengths or they have to be made into a suspension. And all of that needs to have clinical trials done on adults before it can be taken into children. And then we generally start with the older age groups and move down into the younger age groups. And at some times we don't even get to the lower age groups because it's so difficult to find that niche of a patient to enroll in those clinical trials. Plus along the way, there are many other things that are of difficulty that you have to find appropriate uh, investigators or physicians to want to do the trial. Then they have to find patients And then it just takes a very long time because children are healthy. There's not that many children with pneumonia who are in clinical trials, so it takes a really long time. But I cannot overestimate the issue of formulation, which is the form of the drug, because a baby can't swallow a pill. So it takes a long time to get from that pill to that solution or suspension that a child can take, and that's even before the trials are started. That's one of the reasons
0: it takes so long. I'm learning so much about this initiative, and so I want to share with you that the Spin to Save Kids Challenge is on. It's a creative initiative dedicated to calling attention to the disparity in children's pharmaceutical development launched by the Institute for Advanced Clinical Trials for Children, or IACT, the nation's leading nonprofit organization exclusively committed to advancing and accelerating children's clinical trials. Innovative drug development in pediatrics is slow and inadequate. More than 50% of the drugs used in children and 90% in neonates are prescribed off-label and without efficient data. By taking the Spin Challenge, local communities, businesses, doctors nationwide are helping to accelerate the development of life-saving vaccines, medicines, and medical devices for the nation's children. For more information on how to participate, donate, and spin for kids by March 31st, you can visit spinchallenge.org. As you're talking, my brain is doing math because I had kids in the, the early 2000s yeah. and I'm saying to myself, what if I had a child, what if I had an infant and, or a toddler who had chronic asthma and was constantly getting respiratory issues and constantly getting that what you're talking about and I would have to wait like half their life or more no. until there was something reasonable that I could do.
1: Luckily, the example I gave, there are many different classes of drugs that are now approved for use in children. But one of the biggest problems in my field of infectious diseases now is resistant organisms. So organisms that are so resistant that there are only one or two drugs on the market that will work. All of those are approved for adults and not approved for children yet. So, when you have highly medically complex children who spend a lot of time in the hospital, who are at risk for these complex uh, resistant organisms, physicians are left empty. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine having absolutely nothing to treat your child with that is approved for use in that child, is a formulation that's available for that child? And, you know, it's a terrible problem. And it's one that most people don't realize. So the the numbers are the ones that I tell my family when people say, what do you do all day, Cindy? I don't understand. And I say, well, I try to improve the process of drug development for children because were you aware that around 50% of the drugs that are used usually in children have never been approved? So if you look at that package insert that comes, when you get down to the thing that says about children, it'll say... Use in patients less than 18 has not been evaluated or tested.
0: And then it'll say,
1: call your pediatrician.
0: 50%
1: of the drugs that we use commonly, 50%. Now, that doesn't mean there's no evidence. That doesn't mean that someone hasn't done a trial that has not been uh, for approval purposes, which is how we get by in the pediatric world. But still, I think it's unconscionable because that doesn't happen for adults. I don't think that's okay. If you go to the smallest of infants, those premature babies that are in neonatal intensive care units, 90% of the drugs have never been approved or tested in those age groups. And think how complex that is. The difference between a premature infant who's four weeks premature and one who's eight or nine weeks premature is huge. So the difficulties of doing those trials is certainly there, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do them.
0: Wow. I know there's just so many moms listening and doing what I just did, which was my shoulders ended up at my ears. I took this big sigh of how can this be? So tell us about the organization that you teamed up with called the Institute for Advanced Clinical Trials for Children or IACT. Tell us what they're trying to do and how you are working with them.
1: So IACT for Children was formed in 2016 after a large meeting that was sponsored by the American Academy of Pediatrics, was held in 2014. That meeting brought together stakeholders in uh, care of children, patients, parents, the FDA, the National Institutes of Health, many of us who are working in pediatric drug development, academic investigators, experts in their fields. And we all came together, and the question was, how can we improve the clinical trial process for children? Remember, this is 2014. The ideas that came out of that meeting were how IACT was formed. So IACT was formed to be a public-private partnership um, with funds that we got from the FDA and from pharmaceutical companies to serve sort of as an honest broker, an organization that can look at the variety of issues in the ecosystem of drug development for children, bring all those different stakeholders together, and come up with solutions to the issues that we face with drug development for children. One of our biggest issues is this gap between adult approvals and pediatric approvals. So that lag time you talked about earlier, we don't think that's all right. And we're not the only ones, but we're really the ones that are focused on this particular issue and problem and trying to support investigators slash physicians who are doing these trials, the sites that they work at, their staff, to be able to train them to do these very rigorous trials that need to be done for approval and labeling. So that's the organization that I sit in now. I'm happy to be there because this is a an issue that you know I've work, been working in for almost 25 years now. And there are solutions, but there has to be sort of this independent group to be able to work on uh, getting to those solutions. So that's, that's where IACT fits in the scheme of drug
0: development for children. Amazing, and one of the things here at Core For Parenting that we talk a lot about is awareness, right? This I talk about the COVID generation, and people say the what, and I'm like, oh, let me explain to you what what's happened as a result of the pandemic and these millions of babies that were born during that time frame. So there's this awareness factor, and I've learned so much from you already today. But you are and IACT are in the middle of an initiative to raise awareness about this issue, and you're doing it in a really fun way. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we, we think it's fun.
1: So like I said before, most people don't know about the drug development gap. Most people don't understand that many of the drugs used uh, in children today are unlabeled. Um, there's no label indication for their condition. So COVID did one thing for us. And I did a lot of bad things, but I think in the clinical trial world, it did one thing for us, and that is it made clinical trials part of the national lexicon. You couldn't turn a TV on without hearing about the first patient dosed with the vaccine. You couldn't turn a TV or a radio or open the newspaper or look at your your phone news and, oh, look, this drug was approved for conditional use for treatment of COVID. Oh, the first vaccine is approved for use in children. So clinical trials sort of came out of the closet, so -hmm. to speak, uh, and people had heard about them. And they know now a little bit more about the importance of them. We've known for a long time, but I don't think we've been bold enough to come out and just make sure families, parents, grandparents understand that there is an issue here. And I think the only time anything gets done is when parents get energized and activated about something. And I think this is something most parents should get energized and activated about. Virtually all children are going to have a prescription drug given to them at some time during their life. It would be an extraordinary circumstance if there was not one given. So I think it literally involves every parent, every family across the spectrum of the United States. So we decided to do something about that. We decided to put our stake in the, in the ground and say, it is time that the public is aware of the issues surrounding pediatric drug development, the complexities, the challenges, but also the rewards and how important, important it can be for families and children. So um, we envisioned a program called Spin to Save Kids. I like to say it's the ice bucket challenge without having to get cold and wet. You don't have to dump a bucket of ice over your head. You can spin anything you want. So we've got people who are dancing and spinning. We've got people who are on ice skates, snowboards, riding exercise bicycles, spinning their hair, spinning their dogs around. I've got a little fidget spinner that, you know, or spin. Take a little seven-second video, post it on on whatever social media platform you want. Our website is www.spinchallenge.org. You can go in there, you can get the instructions, what the hashtags could be. And we want to pepper social media with Spin to Save Kids, Spin Challenge, and to get everybody sort of jazzed up and understanding what is happening in drug development for children. Because it literally, like I said, affects every child here in the United States. And really globally, this is an issue that is is not just U.S. centric. So our big event is actually this weekend where a group of us from IACT are traveling down to Disney World in Florida. We're joining about 45 to 50 other healthcare providers who are also going to join us because it's one of the most recognized places for children and family to go. Kids love Disney World or Disneyland. And we are going to attempt to set the world record for continually riding the Mad Teacups ride At Disney World in Orlando, Why Mad Teacups It's one of the top three rides kids want to go on. And we're going to have a person representing IACT on those teacups, we hope, for 24 hours. We're going to rotate through and ride. So if you watch our social media on Instagram, IACT, you'll see a bunch of people in white coats riding the mad teacups. It's the mad doctors and nurses and families who are trying to bring awareness to the issues surrounding drug development in children.
0: What a fun way to kick this off. That's amazing. I can't wait to see that and live vicariously through you. I've been there. The teacups were not my favorite ride.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know after many, many rides if it's going to be my favorite ride, but I'm going to give it a good old try.
0: Amazing. Wow. Well, we are going to have all the links in the show notes to share the website and the socials and how people can get involved through donations if they feel led to do that. And then of course, how they can go onto their own socials and have a fun connected event with their kids doing some spinning.
1: Yeah, we've got a lot of kids who are involved already. Uh, We've got some teams, we've got different things like dance studios and different teams, sports teams are involved. So we really hope it becomes you know, something fun for everybody to do, to take advantage of a fun event that you don't have to go anywhere to do. You don't have to walk. You don't have to run. You don't have to ride a bike hundred miles. You can spin in the safety of your own home, your own driveway, or, um, Whatever you'd like to do. I'm a horseback rider, so I taught my horse to spin. So hopefully you'll see my horse and I spinning on one of the videos. Oh,
0: isn't that fantastic? A spinning horse. This just gets more and more interesting. (laughs) Well, I will say, I mean, this is a fun way to raise awareness, to raise funds, but this is a serious issue. And I pray that the majority of the moms who listen to this podcast have healthy, happy, thriving children, but I can tell you from experience that that reality can change very quickly. And so whether you have happy, healthy, thriving kids at home, or you do have a child who has some needs and some struggles medically, please take advantage of this opportunity to support all the other parents who are going to need these drugs someday. Hopefully it's not you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cara, for the opportunity. This has been great. And we would enjoy anybody joining us for a little bit of a spin.
0: I learned so much through that conversation with Dr. Cindy today, and I imagine you did too. Things we had no idea about in the world of medicine for our young kids. So I've decided I am absolutely doing this challenge. In fact, when my little girls were little, we used to pick them up and spin them. I can't really do that anymore with them being so grown up, but you could, that sounds fun. So I'm gonna do this challenge and I challenge you to do it too. Upload a short video, seven to 10 seconds of doing something with your kids involving spinning to your social media attach the hashtag spin challenge and tag me so I can see yours too thank you mama for making time for yourself and prioritizing your parenting listening to this podcast until the next episode stay mindful and proactive as you transform the toddler years